Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On our latest episode, we're talking the debate over gun violence and video games and ask if there truly is a connection. We're also breaking down the NCAA men's basketball tourney, TV ratings news, and can Kevin Feige keep his Marvel mouth shut? All this and more as we once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another great episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you hanging around here and, and checking us out on today's show. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. You got to check out all their great stuff today on HumanicaMedia.com. Also as well, Humanica Media on YouTube and all their great shows on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. It's my good friend, Mr. Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? Hey, hey, I'm just sitting here playing some uh, Devil May Cry 4. Stoked, man. It is a great game, and I'm just glad you're getting a chance to enjoy and catch up with all the Devil May Cry stuff going on. I know we've got some streaming stuff coming in the near future as far as Halo is concerned, so I'm definitely looking forward to that as well. Well, we've got a great 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 episode for you it's stacked with guests galore and a lot of great topics we're going to be talking about kevin feige a little bit later on in the episode and about how he's spreading out those you know those those comments that he's making and and they go into spoilers territory and and josh and i are really deciding whether we want kevin feige to continue talking and spreading those rumors or if we just want him to stay on the lowdown for a little while until Avengers Infinity War comes out and, and we're able to enjoy it ourselves. We're going to be talking about that in a little while. We've also got Skip from the Skip and Josh podcast. you got to check it out today on Apple Podcasts and many other outlets. He is going to be talking with me about the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. The seeds are out. Got to get your brackets filled out. And he and I are coming up later on in the show to talk about what favorites and also what dark horses we like in each of the regions. We've also got our good friend, Jessica Boggs from the TV ratings guide. She's going to be here talking a little bit about some of the TV shows going on in TV landed and whether or not they're, they're doing well or, or some of them are, are maybe just not seeing the light of day. And maybe some of them are being close to canceled if they're not already. She's going to be sharing thoughts on that. And of course, Rob McCallum standing by in the cosmic crossfire as well. He's going to be talking with me about the future of the Muppets, something near and dear to his heart. I hope you get a chance to listen to it because it really, a lot, a lot of it comes from the heart as far as from both him and I on, on the future of the Muppets franchise. But first, Josh, I know 
personally, both you and I have been hearing this as gamers over the past 15, 20 years, actually a little bit even more than that when it comes to gun violence and the association of gun violence with video games. The debate has now been going strong for almost a quarter century, ever since the unfortunate events at Columbine and going forward with uh, a lot of other events as well. I can tell you personally, if you want true actual facts as best reported, somebody that I interviewed in the past, Colin Campbell of Polygon.com, he has a great article now talking about the history of blaming video games for mass murder and all these gun violence issues. You want to check that out on Polygon.com. He's a very knowledgeable and actually he's a very detailed outline on it. But Josh, I know we, we wanted to talk about the subject after you approached me and said, hey, we got to talk about this because representatives from the video game industry met with individuals at the White House. Obviously, what was shown was the you know shock and awe, uh, sizzle reel of, of the negative things that could be persuaded or, or shown against when it comes to video game violence. I don't believe there is an association between the two. I've been playing video games and violent video games now for well upon 30 years of my life. And I know millions of other people have as well. I truly see that there is no connection, especially because the amount of people that do play violent video games. Your thoughts on violent video games and is there a connection between gun violence and violent video games that really should have people concerned? No, I mean, there's no proof that that happens. You know, we, we've talked about this before, I mean, not pertaining to video games, but pertaining to gun violence. Like, at the end of the day, it's the individual that makes these choices. And I don't know if you read my, um, I had a little thing on social media where I was asking people what they thought about it. And this, um, there's uh, a mom that was trying to, like, kind of debate with me a little bit. And she was saying that, like, She's like, oh, well, that I'm like, I've, you know, I review games and like I play them and I've never had them influence my thoughts. And, and she was like, well, that's because you're a fully formed, you're, you have a fully formed adult brain. And she's like, do violent, do violent video games affect the minds of kids? Not completely, but when you mix in bullying and mental health and all this other stuff, it creates a potent combination. But Here's my rebuttal to that. Even when I was a kid, like it didn't really affect me. I loved playing them. The only way it really affected me mentally was that I just wanted to keep playing them. But, you know, to what she was saying, I, I get from being a position of a mother that you would want to protect your kids for some, from something like that. But at what point do we make the responsible people suffer because, you know, a few people have some bad circumstances? Because I, have, for one, think that video games are an excellent medium for storytelling and yes like games like call of duty take it too far sometimes but then you have games like wolfenstein like they show in the uh the sizzle reel for the, the white house gaming thing and it's really just the violence serves a purpose it's it's meant to propel the narrative forward and kind of just show just kind of show the insanity of that whole thing so i i don't know man like i i don't think that there is a correlation i think that people like other things like to pretend that when you know video games come in the news or they want to pretend like they're an expert even though they don't actually play so you know i i don't think that the mindset of a few people should ruin uh the consumption of everybody else if that makes sense well that does make sense but those individuals in government or lobbyists or anything of that nature that wants to put harm on the video game industry they always attack the video game industry 
first and foremost, which is irritating beyond all description to me, because they don't attack those entities or those outlets. And I've given you this explanation before. When WGN airs the original Lethal Weapon in the Christmas tree lot scene, which is as hyper-violent as any video game out there with Mel Gibson going crazy and blowing up everything and blowing away everyone in sight. Okay, when you see that original 1980s movie at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning, per se, five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old can see that at any point in time during the given day or something else that's violent, maybe a repeat of The Walking Dead or something of that nature on AMC. And they are just as susceptible to committing an act of violence basing off that or maybe a picture or a painting or some work of art that has violent tendencies on it, or a book. What if you read a book that has violent tendencies in this, in it as well? Why is it that just the video game industry is targeted? Well, it's because it seems like an easy get. It's a low-hanging fruit for a lot of these individuals that want to make a name for themselves and want to see if they can go ahead and go after it. They know they can't go after books or the movie industry or anything else with any real abandon or the TV industry with any real abandon, like they can go after the video game industry because it's relatively, uh, the hierarchy uh, as far as a conglomerate is not that strong as far as the lobbying in the Capitol Hill. I mean, when it comes to the NRA, the National Rifle Association, which whichever side of the fence you're on as far as gun control, no one can doubt the, the extreme power and control and influence that the NRA has at a government level. The same cannot be said for the video game conglomerate that gets together and lobbyists that try to do their good in a government as far as promoting whatever they can for the video game industry. There are very small and they're very minute compared to the TV or movie or, or book industry or anything of that nature that, that also can share a, a violent video game tendency just as influential or even more so than anything that can be shown in a video game format. So personally, I see no correlation, but if you're gonna try and go ahead and, and hunker down a little bit more, know the facts. There is a rating system out there already in place for video games. It's up to the parents out there. Again, this goes back to when I was running game stores and had adults coming in and buying GTA 4 for their kids, for their nephews, for their nieces, knowing full well when I explained it to them, did you know there's this in it? Did you know there's that in it? Hey, it's an M-rated game. Do you really want to go ahead? And they'll do it anyways. Yep, I got my kids got to play GTA. He's playing at the neighbor's house. That's the poorest excuse in the world. Stop with all that. It To me, it's an issue of do you want your kids playing the stuff? And the answer is no, then you can control what it is they see and what it is they react to and what it is they interact with. As far as it being a correlation between video game violence and an actual gun violence, uh, I don't see the correlation again because there's so many millions of people out there playing any type of shooter from PUBG to Overwatch to Halo to Fortnite to whatever that are good people that work hard, work nine to five, and don't do the things that, the, like you said, a minute amount of people do. What are your thoughts on the video game and gun violence debate? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanica media, 
and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, we're going to bring it back to down to earth as far as some light stuff going on. We just appreciate you you listening to us and letting us vent a little bit because this is such a major topic to talk about. When we come back, Rob McCallum is standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking about the Muppets. And later on, we're going to be talking to Skip from the Skip and Josh podcast. He's going to be breaking down the NCAA attorney. And our good friend Jessica Boggs is back from the TV Ratings Guide and tvratingsguide.com to break down more TV ratings news. And then Josh and I will be back on the back end talking Kevin Feige and Marvel. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly want to thank you for being part of the broadcast here today. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. You got to check out all of his great projects today on RobMcCallumFilms.com. Plus, also as well, backed or busted crowdfunding. Everything as far as going on with the crowdfunding world, you got to check out today on Backdoor Busted Crowdfunding as he examines what he likes and what he doesn't like in the crowdfunding scene. It's Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Switching gears to the Jim Henson Company. You've been asking me for the last few weeks, Rob, we should, we should talk about the Muppets. We, we should do kind of an in-depth thing about what's going on with the Muppets. Well, you know, I've been looking forward to this documentary that comes out on March 16th called Muppet Guys Talking. Uh, it's directed by Frank Oz. They just released a new trailer on MuppetGuysTalking.com. I think Yahoo had the exclusive first kind of unveiling of it. It's just a nice almost dinner for five-like conversation between five of the original Muppet performers talking about what it was like working back in the day and under the leadership of Jim Henson. I'm really excited for this documentary. You can only get it at MuppetGuysTalking.com. And it got me thinking about Muppet Guys not working right now and what is not going on with the Muppets. I don't know what's going on with the Muppets. And and that's kind of where the the thing kind of ends. There's a new Muppet Babies cartoon coming out this summer, I believe. That seems to be the most... Muppet property on on the on the highlight. What are, what are your thoughts on the Muppets? And was there anything specifically that you wanted to talk about? Because this is a franchise that has withered away a bit and died and been less and less of what it originally was. And there's been a lot of corporations involved in it. And I don't know if that's the reason. And once you start peeling back the layers of the onion, you realize that there's not much there, and it's or it's still just an onion and not something more special. I don't know. I've I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I wanted to hear what your take was coming at me since you've been kind of asking me for the last few weeks. Well, this leads into what we were talking about as far as the theme park is concerned. And I made the comment that the Muppets keep getting pushed back farther and farther and into the corners and into the darker realms of the actual Disney world and Disneyland's of, of, of that are out there. And I just think it shows that it is not a high priority within the Disney realm. They have this property they make X amount from it, but it's not as much as they want it to make. And it's not obviously at the level right now that let's say a Marvel is or Star Wars is that are the hottest properties. But when you also have 
A Wrinkle in Time, Christopher Robin, you've got a, a live action Lion King, you've got Mary Poppins, you've got so many of these properties. And you know, you and I, I, I know you probably saw on Twitter the list of all the, the recent changes within the unannounced or upcoming Disney slate of movies for the next two, three years. It's, it's just insane. And it just seems to me with each and every of these other properties that are out there, that there is something, you know, there's, there's something like the Muppets that's going to fall by the wayside. And it, at this point in time, it's not a priority at Disney. And that's a shame because it is a solid property that reaches out to the youngest audience and helps them start embracing the Disney concept and, and therein. And they're just missing the boat, in my opinion. I, I, I think they gave up on the TV series a little bit too quickly, the revival of it. I think, like you said, they could have put that on a streaming platform and really found success with it, as opposed to try and force feed it on ABC. I don't think it's the type of show that you can actually go ahead and put in prime time anymore. But if it's on a, well, not can't be on PBS for obvious reasons, but a Netflix, a Hulu, uh, you know, you bought Hulu, it's there, or a Disney streaming service. There's something where it could be revived and revised strongly and could be a backbone of that new streaming service. Well, there's definitely rumors that there may be a new uh, Muppet presence on, on the Disney streaming service. But I want you to think about this. And this was kind of the lead into the topic, right? Muppet Guys Talking releases March 16th. It's directed by Frank Oz. It features five of the original Muppet performers coming together to talk about what it was like to work with Jim Henson and during the Muppets and Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and SNL and all that. This conversation has been, hasn't happened yet. This is like the first time these guys have sat down. It's been almost 30 years since Jim Henson's death. Now, these guys, in my opinion, kind of hold the secret and, and get what makes the Muppets work. When I watch the trailer and the conversations and the snippets that they've been releasing online, I don't feel like I'm watching Frank Oz or Bill Beretta or Jerry Nelson or Fran Brill. I feel like I'm actually like watching different Muppet characters talk because I see all the personalities and the quirks and I see the chemistry that was developed for 20 years, and I see those characters coming out of who they are, which means that it's more than just a brand, it's more than just a puppet, and it's more than just a structure to allow those puppets and brands to exist. And I think once Jim Henson died, everything that he had done kind of up until that point kind of died with him. They had Muppet Christmas Carol, which was very, fairly successful. They had Muppet Treasure Island, which was successful to a lesser degree. But those were like... Here's the Muppets. We should do something with them. Let's take them out of what everybody knows and put them in these stories that people do know so they can have a little bit more long longevity. Then they tried in, in 1996 to do Muppets Tonight, which I think they did at least one smart thing there, which was let's introduce a bunch of new characters with a few of the staple characters, Kermit, Gonzo, Piggy here and there, but mainly more new characters so that we don't have to do the old characters, whether we're doing them right or wrong. We can allow something new to exist within that universe. And whether ABC or Disney really kind of got it at that point is, is hard to tell. But what is apparent now is that the Muppets are just characters and puppets that should be acting a certain way. And they're trying to get them to do that based on how they've seen them act before. It's what I call second generation syndrome where you have a restaurant that gets passed on to the son from the father and it's not successful because the son didn't work and do the sweat equity that it took to make it work and figure out what, what didn't work versus what did and how to do things properly. So you can't just 
Jurassic Park the crap out of it where you buy it, patent it, slap a label on it because that's what it that that's what you do. You know, you were so busy to think about whether you could buy it, you didn't realize if you should buy it. You know, it's it's the Goldblum approach, I guess you could say. And that's what I think EMTV did, which was a German company who bought it from the Hensons, I think 98 or 99, and then the Hensons bought it back, and then they sold it to Disney at a crazy profit between all those transactions. And I think people are just buying into the myth of the Muppets at this point. And, like, you got it, but now what? It's like when you buy, like, that cool NES game that you've been hunting down, and then you put it on your shelf. Now what? You play it, it's like... Oh, it was a little bit more fun to find it than it is to play it. It's it's not quite what I remembered. How can this be fun again? And then you're like, well, I'll just go do something else. I'll go hunt down another game. So I think the problem with the Muppets now is nobody knows what to do with them because nobody understands the Muppets that has access to them right now. They've been bought by a big corporate conglomerate that has a lot of uh, family-friendly assets, but they don't know how to deal with them because it's not just another family-friendly asset that can get plugged into the machine. It was created in a very mom and pop sort of way that grew to become a big corporation, but with people that were there from the beginning. And now that you've lost all those people from the beginning, you're relying on interpretation and observation to recreate that. And when you're relying on observation, you can only get close to the original. You can never be original. So I think that's the problem with the Muppets, and that's why it's going to be hard to ever see them in the, in the limelight again. And, and I will say this, that the more time it's in this hiatus or whether it's pushed to the back or however you want to phrase it, the less effective it, it remains and the less, you know, the shorter audience, the smaller audience it's going to reach out to. And these younger audiences, they're going to grow up on something else and the Muppets won't be a part of that. And it will be very hard to reboot the Muppets, so to speak, into a higher platform if you're not reminding people just how special they are. I agree. I agree. But if you have any questions for Rob McCallum in the Cosmic Crossfire, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanity Media, Game Source, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and Rob McSob on Twitter. Rob, as always, it's been a great pleasure having you on. But before we head on out, tell me, all the great things that you've got going and you've got cooking one last time from Robin Callum films. All right. I'm going to try to do this because there's been a ton happening. I just updated robincallumfilms.com with a new update about everything that's been happening in the last month and what we're doing going forward. We've cut concerts for little Wayne. We have some other concerts that we're going to be doing multi-cam edits of Kitty uh, origins evolution drops uh, March 30th, order it through robincallumfilms.com. Missing Mom now is on Amazon Prime in the U.S. and the U.K. We get a whopping eight cents every time somebody watches it. But hey, share the link and hopefully you can be part of the millions that can get exposure to the story that uh, resonates with everybody. We've been uh, brought on to do some authoring duties on, a, on another video game documentary called The Bits of Yesterday by Darren Peliquin. So we'll be responsible to handling all their Blu-ray and DVD authoring, which is cool. We were just at PitCon and SLAAS, which are two scientific trade shows. So we're producing those videos for them. We have potentially another Kickstarter in, in the works in next month that we can talk about maybe a little bit more. Uh, and of course, Factor Busted, our web series continues. The, seri uh, the season finale for season one will be coming up as soon as I find the right campaign. I thought I had it worked out, but then I recorded and realized this wasn't a, a good enough campaign to cap off season one. And of course, that builds and leads to our Factor Busted 
Kickstarter workshop that's happening in London, Ontario, March 25th, 1 to 5 p.m. Get tickets on, on Eventbrite, either eventbrite.com or eventbrite.ca. Look for a Kickstarter masterclass with Rob McCallum. That, I think, does it. There's probably a few other things. Again, robmccallumfilms.com. Check out the news updates post. We just did a new one. You'll see more information there. Because for you, there's not enough time in the day, especially being a new dad as well. So there is that. There is that as well. Coming up next, it's Jessica Boggs from the TV Ratings Guide. She's going to be breaking down some of the latest TV ratings news. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. On March 30th, get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McGallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Pre-order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. Kitty Origins Evolutions drops March 30th, 2018. And we're back. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. And, well... She is back again. She is the know-it-all when it comes to television ratings. She is from the fantabulous, I just created that word, fantabulous site, tvratingsguide.com. you got to check out today all the great stuff that they have on articles, reviews, news, and updates on the ratings world. Which shows are on the way out? Which shows are hot? And which shows are on the fence? They let you know on all that, whether it concerns cable broadcast or anything else that's out there even they cover the news itself and because news shows and news programming is now so important to television viewing but it's our good friend at tvratingsguide.com it's jessica boggs jessica how are you today i am doing pretty good it's always great to get those updates on what everybody's watching out there it's that mid-season point for a lot of episodes that are out there. What shows really are, do you think, are really making a, a name for themselves that, you know, either a surprise or really just something that you had predicted all along? With Fox Drama, 911 doing really well in the ratings. In addition, The Resident does pretty good in the ratings as well. Fox is in the middle of a turnaround. And Elita Vegas is currently one of their second or third highest rated shows on Fox comedy right now, but it's on the lowest rated comedy night on Fox where everything's pretty much fractional except for lethal weapon on most nights. That's some great insight on that because Fox, like you said, is in the middle of a big turnaround, but there's also other great programming out there. I know your favorite, the CW that always meets your eye as far as a lot of great stuff going on there even though I still think they've got way too many DC shows, but I won't say too much about that. But there's also many other shows as well on CBS. You've got the, the fledging shows like Navy SEALs, also Young Sheldon that has been such a tremendous hit for them as well. But what are some of the high points that you're seeing right now at this halfway point of the TV season? 
Uh, so far, we've seen the Good Doctor continuing to be at its strong set, and also with Grey's Anatomy. But the the tepid points um, we got comedy on ABC is down double digits this year, and that, and that's a shame because I know ABC has always prided itself on having that comedy two-hour block almost be like a backbone for for a lot of their programming. I think in addition is, as we've seen with the mayor, some of the comedies could be a little off-brand, but maybe a little too low-rated. But there are a few with the middle ending and Modern Family might end as well. We've seen two weak links. Um, One is in Fresh Off the Boat, still a somewhat steady player on a low-rated Tuesday night. And Speechless being a very weak, weak link on a stronger Wednesday night. And that's kind of uh, disappointing to hear when you tell me that about Modern Family, which, again, like I said, has been a cornerstone of the ABC comedy two-hour block for quite some time now. But people may be getting tired of it and maybe moving on to other shows. Jessica, I want to ask also when it comes to broadcast cable, I know there's a lot of shows that, that are now – a lot of people are talking about, including one that I wrote about recently that I know is going to be appearing on your site very soon, and that is The Alienist and how people should get really, really into that and, and think of that as a binging option. Yeah, well, currently we got this at a 0.42 in the Key Adults 1849 demographic, and this marks it the second highest rated show on both demo and in viewership. And... As with the move with edgier programming, we saw the news today that The Librarians was canceled after four seasons. But what we're still watching is the fate of good behavior. TNT has put a lot of money behind as far as promotion is concerned, but really has not translated into solid ratings, has it not? It is not. And it's one of the lowest rated shows on TNT. And... It was one of the lowest rated shows on TNT in its first season, and the same happens with the TNT today, and it's now wrapped second season. And they canceled the librarians. My goodness. Uh, TNT, I don't know. I'm telling you, it's not exactly the wisest of choices, but you know that that's neither here nor there. I'm not the one calling the shots. TVRatingsGuide.com you got to check out today all the great stuff that they have on articles, reviews, news, and updates on the ratings world. Jessica, it's been great having you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Coming up next, it's Skip from the Skip and Josh podcast talking about the NCAA men's basketball tourney. Who does he like? Who does he think is the dark horse? And who does he think is going to go all the way? This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, it's Rob McCallum and I'm back with a new series that centers on the world of crowdfunding. I call it Backed or Busted. It's real simple. Every week I take a Shark Tank-like look at live campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and determine if they should be backed or if they're busted. If they should be backed, then I invest in the project, plunk down real money, and become a backer. If the project doesn't cut it, then it gets no love from me and I label it Busted for the entire world to see. In addition, you'll discover amazing new projects, inventive products, creative endeavors, and you'll see what works and what doesn't work in the multi-billion dollar crowdfunding industry that makes turning your dream project into a reality more than possible. 
So check out Backed or Busted episodes at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And if you want me to help your campaign become truly awesome, send me a message. That's Backed or Busted at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And we're back right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you sticking around and hanging out with us here as we, well, actually something real great is happening right here because it is that magical time of the year. It is time for the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. And who better to break it down with me than a great guest I have on here today. It is Skip from the Skip and Josh podcast. You got to check out their podcast today on skipandjosh.com. Also as well, the Skip and Josh podcast breaks down sports like you wouldn't believe. And you got to check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Skip, it's great having you here. And thank you so much for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Gerald, it's really awesome to be here. I'm so excited. Like you said, March Madness, it's finally here. But I want to break down as far as the different regions, what we got here, and because you know the tournament field has been announced. But before we do, real quickly, some of the surprises about who was brought in and, more importantly, who got their bubble burst on the selection for the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Well, the biggest surprise about who's in is, I know it's weird, but Syracuse actually is in that play-in game. Well, that's and- because Jim Beham he moans and he groans every single year. They're on the cut line every single year. Then he moans and groans and he gets his way. Either that or he, he just moans and groans and they're just like out first week in the NIT. Right. I, I just I just assume they're they're not going to be in. And now they've got like their their last chance, you know, like look, I'm I'm 100% sure that Arizona State's going to beat them in that playing game. But, you know, just getting to that playing game really doesn't, you know, that doesn't really help you. You know, you're just setting. I don't I don't know if they have much of a chance to move forward. Yeah, I hear you on that. I don't think any of the teams that are in those playing games really have that great of a chance. But I'm sorry to see teams like USC, Louisville, Oklahoma mm-hmm. State, and St. Mary's. I think they were more deserving than the last Final Four in. But, hey, you know what? If you you make your schedule, you play it, and you you got to get those those marquee wins. But for each of those teams that got snubbed, there there's reasons why that they're not in, and, and that's a shame to see. But you know what? We've got to talk about the 68 that are in, my friend. Mm-hmm. And first off, we're going to cover the – south region that sure. looks to me like a murderer's row out there and uh my gosh there's some real heavyweights out there i know you've really been been really doing a lot of great research on it who sticks out to you within the south region i mean anybody who listens to our show knows that me and josh are huge duke guys right so what we are my biggest knowledge base is everything about the acc and i never i didn't give virginia any chance all year all year in the back of my mind, I'm like, they're not for real. They're not for real. They're not for real. And Virginia, you have to give them. I know it's weird to say, like, who's a dark horse? The number one seed is a dark horse. Not really. But no one really gave them any credit, especially me. And I, I think they're the team to beat, to be honest. I really think they're the team to beat. Almost, They play, they play great defense. They play, they play such great defense. And their offense complements what they're doing on defense because they kind of hold the ball a lot. They pass the ball around a million times. Like I know it's impossible to hold the ball during the sh- with a shot clock on, but they do that, <laughs> and I just think they're the real deal. You know, they they won the ACC tournament. 
And I think like they're poised for a, a big, big run here, you know. And I mean, it is it is interesting that you have Kentucky as a five. <laughs> so that sets up nicely for, you know, like a, a matchup with Virginia, you know, in the third game, which would be pretty, pretty exciting, actually, for all college basketball fans. Yes, it would be. And actually, that's one of my dark horses. If you're to choose a dark horse from that South region, I would probably say the dark horse would be Arizona or Kentucky, Arizona, especially with those two seven footers. Well, Arizona certainly is. They have the lottery pick, the number one, the the, the guy who's going to go number one in the draft, right? In uh, DeAndre Ayton. Yes. But they've got a lot of, they've got a kind of dark cloud over them right now with the, all this controversy over, you know, did their coach uh, hand out a duffel bag full of money <laughs> to agents and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm not that high in Arizona. I think, I think Kentucky will get the better of them if, if they're to match up. An interesting team is Wright State. Now I'm going extreme, extreme upset here. And what's doing a bracket without trying to pick upsets? Because if you pick all favorites, you know you're not getting your bracket right. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's just that's just the way it goes, right? And not that I'm so excited about Wright State. I actually hardly know anything about them. But looking at their their stats, like they play, they're a very, very strong defensive team. And I'm just not sold on Tennessee or Miami in that bracket. I think Miami is a is a team full of athletes, but not necessarily a well-coached opponent can can upset them. And, and the same thing with Tennessee. They're kind of a well-rounded team, but I think they're beatable. If you're really going to stream upsets, then number 14, right state, might be the place to go. <laughs> I hear you on that. And that you know, they're they're look primed to be possibly that bracket buster that could happen. But to me, I think the South region is the strongest region out there and it is the most stacked and i think like like you and i are both in agreement that virginia looks like to be the favorite coming out of there right now i think so too yeah actually i do think the most stacked um bracket is the midwest i don't know when we'll get you when let me know when you want to get to that but it's it's pretty scary (laughs) yes it is that one is definitely scary as well i'm going to go to the east region this is going to be well it's it's kind of it's several teams there that might have a chance Obviously, you've got Villanova as the heavy favorite coming out of that bracket. Wichita State could be mm-hmm. someone, you know, they had such a great beginning of the season and they they were knocking off teams right and left. So them being in that bracket, to me, they're dark horse, but, they, you know, it wouldn't be surprised me if they came out of that bracket as well. Me too. They're such a high-flying offensive teams and they pose, their style of play always poses uh, matchup problems for opponents because they just fly up and down the court. You know, shooting like like crazy, right? It's such a high flying offensive system. So, if they get hot, they certainly can win a couple of games for sure, right? If not, absolutely. More, but, yeah. In fact, they may they may even you know be ready to and prime to surprise a lot of people out there. Now, also in that East region, you've got Purdue, you've got Texas yeah. Tech, Wichita State, like we've mentioned. Also, as well, you have West Virginia, a very solid team as well. You've got Florida. And then you've got Arkansas, Virginia Tech, Alabama, Butler, St. Bonaventure, UCLA, play-in game and all that. But definitely to me, it looks like uh, Wichita State, Villanova, or even West Virginia may be somebody that could surprise as well. Yeah, I agree with you about West Virginia. They're they're a tricky team who had a tough – they they play in a – a uh, tough schedule and and they deserve their five seed if if not higher but again they're they're in the 
they're in that top part of the bracket, so they're going to have to play Villanova early on, earlier on than they would have liked, I guess. I mean, to me, Villanova is the team to beat. Right. Once again, I have Skip from skipandjosh.com. You got to check out the Skip and Josh podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. It's a great show covering the broadband of sports. And if you haven't heard it yet, it's got to be part of your listening broadcast each and every week and each and every episode that comes out. We're going to go to that Midwest. Again, mm -hmm. another murderer's row like you were calling. And it all starts off with, as the favorite, you've got Kansas right there, number one. But to me, they're not as, as strong a Kansas team as in the past. That's just my opinion. I may be wrong on that. But you also got Duke right after it. And oh my gosh, it's another stacked Duke team. You've also got Michigan State, another team with some really, really good NBA prospects. Auburn, which had a really strong year this year. You also have Clemson, another great uh, ACC team right there. It is, like you said, a very, very stacked region right there. Rhode Island, which could be, for me, a surprise. And then 10, Oklahoma, which was on cloud nine way back when with Trey Young. You have Seton Hall, NC State, another ACC teams. That doesn't even include Arizona State, Syracuse, and anything yeah. like that after it. So what are your thoughts on the Midwest region? Like I just said, I'm a big Duke guy. And then when I saw the bracket come out, I was like, oh, God. Kansas and Michigan State. Oh my God. And Auburn, who's like a bit of a tournament darling now. A lot of that has to do with because TBS has the broadcast rights and we're never going to hear the end of it if Auburn wins a couple of games from and Charles Barkley. Teams, right? ACC teams in it as well. Oh, Clemson is such an underrated team. They are so strong. You were mentioning that Rhode Island Oklahoma matchup. I think Rhode Island's winning that first game easily. I think, you know, like you said, the Oklahoma got off to a great start. Trey Young was getting all the attention. But he's a one-man show, right? And yeah. a one-man show when you're kind of a little guy, that's tough. And R Rhode Island's such a strong team. They were in the top 20 or top 25 almost the entire year, right? That's so, correct. So I really like Rhode Island in that game, but not to get past Duke. It's funny because I told my co-host Josh that, you know, he knows I'm coming on your show today. And he's like, what are you going to, how are you going to pick? And you were talking about it. And I said, you know, I think it's been like at least 20 years in a row. I picked Duke to win the national championship on my <laughs> bracket every year. And it's because I go with my heart instead of looking at facts, even when they're not good Duke teams. And do I think Duke's going to win the national championship this year? No, they're not. I think they're loaded. But team that plays a zone defense like them, that's, I, I can't see them winning. They're, they're playing a zone defense for the first time ever. I've never seen a Duke team play a zone. And I just can't see them getting past Michigan State and Kansas. I just I just can't see it. Well, actually, I'm going to surprise you because I do see them getting past both. I think Michigan wow. State has a lot of talent. Actually, I think Michigan State will provide the bigger test between Kansas and Michigan State. Mm -hmm. But I think Duke with Marvin Bagley is, oh. is really, really strong. Um, to me, they're really starting to get hot just right at the, at the right around the right time. Yeah. I think Duke is to me the favorite coming out of there. And I think if you're going to talk about a dark horse, it would be to me, Michigan state or Rhode Island. Yeah. I mean, I look, Duke played Michigan state. I don't know if you remember, it was like way early on in the year. It was in November. Yeah. And Duke won pretty easily. And it was, I was like, wow, look at this team. They're stacked. And then they were like hot and cold. And like you said, they've gotten on a big run lately, Duke. They got hot. They seem to have their act together. So look, I'm going to, I'll be more than happy if they, if they, if your prediction comes true, Gerald, I'll be more than happy, you know, but 
Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. But picking yeah. Duke is is not, as you know, has not been a, even even on their off years. They they every now and then surprise people and get to uh, uh, you know Sweet Sixteen, Final sure. Eight, Final Four yeah. type deals. So. And, and I don't see a team here that's going to upset them like Lehigh did one year, or uh, yeah, forget who else, Mercer. <laughs> Mer- yeah, I remember. But I don't they, even. I want to forget those days. Team. Yeah. <laughs> when they have a strong team, so that makes it even worse. But. Definitely, I think Duke, and, and so your pick coming out of there? I think it's going to be Kansas. Okay, I think they're Kansas. underrated. I, I I go with like the opposite theory. Like sometimes when the Kansas team has so much hype and then they never come through, right? <laughs> but this Kansas team is, even though they're a number one seed, they're so unheralded, I think they'll squeak their way into the final four. Last, we've got the West region, and the West region, you know, not too bad as far as the region's concerned. You've got Xavier at the number one seed, followed by North Carolina. Then you've got also Michigan. Then you've got Gonzaga. You've got Ohio State, Houston, Texas A&M, Missouri, Florida State, Providence. But I think coming out of there, for me, I think I'm going to probably go with Xavier I think Gonzaga is going to be like a, a elite eight this year. I don't think they're going to be able to get into the the final four, but I think if there's any type of uh, surprise, it will come out of the Providence Texas A&M game. That's that's just if Providence just, is really solid. You know, they 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 went all the way to the Big East tournament final and and lost in overtime against Villanova. You know, so they went toe to toe with them. But the team that like it really pains me to say this, Gerald, really, really does. Um, but <laughs> North Carolina, North Carolina, you know, me and Josh talked about like the one and done situation in college basketball right now and what it does to the sport. And the problem is, is that you know you get nineteen year olds playing against twenty two year olds, and while the nineteen year olds may be super talented and they're destined for the NBA, some of them sometimes it's literally like a boys against men and. North Carolina is, you know, with Pinson and Barry and they have these seniors. They're, they're so loaded. They're so experienced. You know, there are the defending champs, you know. So I don't I, 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 I don't know. I think they're going to be tough to, to get out of there. Although Xavier and the Michigan is a team also to not ignore because they're very, very hot, right? They, they had they, some good wins. Yes, yeah. they did have some good wins at the right time, in fact. So we got to break down to a, a final four from you. A final, final four, and I know you hinted already who you yeah. might be seeing all the way, but a final four for you, and then also an actual overall NCAA champion. Sure. Now I'm gonna, I'm about to tell you my final four, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, this is impossible because the number ones don't know. You never get all so many number ones there, whatever. But I'm still gonna go with with my gut feeling. So I have Virginia, North Carolina, and then I have Villanova, Kansas. And I have Virginia Villanova in the final and Villanova prevailing. Excellent choice. I'm going to go with Virginia and also as well, we're going to go with Villanova. And then next I've got Duke and then also go with that Xavier. I'm Mm. going to go with that and seeing how that lays out. I'm going to say Virginia is my national champion. Like, as I said, when it comes down to it, defense oftentimes prevails in the NCAA tournament and they have a deep, deep roster and also a very committed team to defense. And and I think that's because of their coaching. Tony Bennett has done an outstanding job. He's an outstanding coach. Yeah. To me, one of the leading choices for coach of the year. Because they've been leading up, right? Virginia didn't just become good all of a sudden. The last five years they're ramping up, right? And and maybe this is their, their time. I think so. I think so. I think your assessment with the 
experience is extremely valid when it comes to North Carolina. And I think if anybody can burst out of that bubble of those four teams, it is North Carolina, especially because, like you said, because of the experience that they have, I'm just not sure that they have the outside shooting consistently that I have seen over the course of the year from no. them in order to go ahead and, and have it when it counts. Plus, to me, always repeat teams getting into that. Like I said, same thing for Gonzaga. Gonzaga still is a very nice team as far as that's concerned, but I see both them for some reason just getting that slip up along the way, uh, and it's because it's so hard to get back there for college teams to get back oh, to. Or in this one-and-done era, the repeating is almost impossible. Exactly. Any last thoughts, again, on this great NCAA tournament, Skip? Because it's just been such a great pleasure having you on. I think there's been like a little bit of a cloud over college basketball the last couple of weeks, recruiting scandals, and like I said, bags of money, and Sean Miller, and different kind of negativity. And, and I think like, let's just forget about all that and enjoy the college basketball, right? Absolutely. Everybody, everybody hooky from work and school on Thursday and watch the games. I mean, that's what I used to do when I was younger and, <laughs> and stay up late and watch games for, well, you're in the West coast. So it works in your favor, actually. You have basketball for breakfast. So yep, great. yep, yep. We do indeed out here in Vegas, and actually the sports books. I've I have visited them on occasion on those first two days of the tournament, and it is wild. It is rocking, and I'll tell you what, it's just a great time for any college basketball fan or any of those colleges that are out there. That the support they get from the kids, oh, I yeah. love the the chants and the continued. Ah, uh, you know, oh, it's great. It's great it makes me feel young again when I watch all that because it inspires me. And Absolutely. I know, I know it inspires a lot of people out there as well. You know, I got into this tournament when I was like in my teens, you know, that's when I started watching this in the, in the 80s. <laughs> Don't want to give away my age, but, and it's like a tradition ever since, you know, and it never gets boring. There's always excitement. There's always buzzer beaters. There's always Cinderella stories. Like no matter what happens, there's going to be drama. So it's, it's going to be sports entertainment at its best. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I joined the Yahoo and ESPN leagues coming up here in a couple of days, and it's just such a great feeling to be part of it because you think, you, you know, I've worked very hard. I've, I've carefully calculated all this stuff down and to see it all shattered and busted by the end of the first weekend. That's a real bummer, but I keep coming back because, you know, it's just a great time to end a lot of fun and a lot of bragging rights every now and then. Absolutely. So. That's the way it goes. Once again, it is Skip from the Skip and Josh podcast. You got to check it out today. Check it out right after you listen to our show. If you want the lowdown on everything going on in the sports world, it starts off with skipandjosh.com, but you can also catch the Skip and Josh podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. And please give them a five-star rating because it is a show that is definitely worth it. Skip it's just been a great having you part of the show today to, to share your thoughts on the NCAA basketball tournament. And I definitely want you and or Josh to come back and talk to me and uh, my Josh right. that on my show to talk more about the sports world, the NHL, or whatever you guys want to talk about in pop culture as well. It was awesome to be part of your show, Gerald. Awesome. Again, just a great pleasure having you on and also just truly wonderful to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos. We are the Metal Geeks Podcast, and on this show we have heavy metal, comic books, video games, movies, theme parks, and more. Wait, 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 comics? Yep. And movies? Exactly. Video games? Yeah. Metal? Of course. How does theme parks fit in this? It just does. All of us Metal Geeks can be found at MetalGeeks.net. At Metal Geeks for Twitter. 
Metal Geeks on Instagram. And Metal Geeks on the Facey Space. You can also find us on iTunes. Subscribe today. Metal Geeks. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Got to make sure to tell you, if you you have any trouble catching our show, just go head over to our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. We've got our lineup of all the great shows and where we're at. But to break it down for you, on Sundays, we're on Airwave Radio in the UK. Also as well, Good Talk Radio out of Arizona. Monday, we're on the Podcast Radio Network, our original home, Croc Radio in Canada, Grey Cloud Radio, an awesome station as well and ipmnation.com on their IPM Nation 1 channel. Those are all on Monday nights. On Tuesday, it's Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting. Wednesday, it's Great Cloud Radio. Thursday, it's Western Reserve again. Friday, it's the Podcast Radio Network, Croc Radio, Great Cloud Radio, IPM Nation. And then on Saturday, it's Great Cloud Radio. And if you need to download our show with extra content, you can subscribe and download our show via Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Podbean, Podchaser, Tangibound Network, ESO Network, Gunna Geek Network, and over two dozen different podcast networks. And coming soon, we're going to be part of the We Be Geeks Network. You want to check it out today at WeBeGeekPC.com. That's WeBeGeekPC.com. We're part of the We Be Geeks Network. Very soon, we're setting everything up. And so this week we should be on there as well with our shows. So definitely look forward to that. Josh has got a great thing going on with Humanica Media. So Josh, give me the 411 on what's going on with your great stop known as Humanica Media. A new episode of Topic Ocalypse just dropped. So you can run on over to Podbean and check that out right now. They're talking about Altered Carbon. We had a returning guest to the show, Brett Cruz, who asked us if we could live forever like an Altered Carbon would we and what would we do with immortality also there is a new episode of super bs uh dropping on thursday night and a new episode of what about this coming at you on monday night and also you can check out our uh show on the yield podcast radio network on tuesday night absolutely that's attack of the mannequins on the podcast radio network tuesday night 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific one of the most popular shows on that network, along with our shows, both the PCC Multiverse on Friday, and of course, this one that drops every Monday night. So Josh, before we head on out, I know we haven't got much time left. Do want to thank Skip from the Skip and Josh podcast. You got to check out their show. Of course, Rob McCallum, as always in the Cosmic Crossfire, and Jessica Boggs. She's always awesome as part of the TV Rays Guide, tvraysguide.com. But Josh, before we head on out, we got to talk about Kevin Feige. I love the guy and cannot thank him enough for what he's done with his masterminding the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But can this man just please hush when it comes to all these Marvel spoilers? 
every time I look around as far as when I'm searching the internet for stories to share on Pop Culture Cosmos that I th really think will be good, every time I turn around, every single day, I hear a new Kevin Feige spills the beans on this. Kevin Feige spills the beans on that. Kevin Feige shares thoughts on this. Kevin Feige shares the Infinity War ending. Kevin Feige tells you this. Kevin Feige tells you that. That's fine that you go ahead and tell everybody that there is a Black Panther 2 coming out. Hey, it's over a billion dollars. It's no brainer. Of course, there's a Black Panther 2 coming out. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a no brainer. But when it comes to the Infinity War ending and things of that nature, please, Kevin, you just got to slow down on the rumors. You know, it, it bothers me a little bit because I really like to go into the, the movie and not not have to know really a whole lot about it before I go into it. But unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder to avoid all these spoilers. Am I overreacting and saying too much? Or do you think Kevin Feige needs to just slow down on all the Marvel talk? I think he needs to slow down. He reminds me of one of those people that gets so excited about what they're doing at work that they want to keep like saying, hey, so this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And they just keep throwing ideas out there and, you know, maybe half of them will come to life, but just need to think about what you're saying and think about how it's affecting the way other people view the movie. And I'll be completely honest with you. Like I wasn't feeling Marvel fatigue too much until he said that there's going to be Black Panther spinoff movies. And I was just because uh, I have no desire to watch that. You know, just like I have no desire to see a Boba Fett movie. I don't care about the uh, origins of the ancestral plane. I want to see the story move forward. I don't I don't want all these spin-offs just because Black Panther made a billion dollars. I don't I don't make a sequel. Keep keep moving forward with the story. I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to go into the intricacies of everything. And you know, as for Avengers, everyone already kind of knew that something was gonna happen, but yeah, he needs to just stop. Let us watch it. Just let us say things. I know he sometimes gets cornered by uh, journalists and, uh, you know, nerd bloggers and stuff. So he feels the need to give away something. But he just needs to ask himself, like, at what point is, is it too much? As two individuals who have journalism degrees, we understand that it, it is our job to sometimes go out and seek those answers. But when it comes to stuff that we are very passionate about as well, we kind of just hold off on asking those really, really tough questions that we really don't want the answers for quite yet, just so we can grab a headline, just so we can get some clicks, just so we can provide some clickbait. Now, at some point in time, Kevin has just got to slow down and realize maybe there is shouldn't be so much out there because that ultimately will hurt yourself with the movie and the people that may not go to it because they already know what the ending is going to be. And that to me is a shame because the experience of seeing this in a theater is cannot be described to anybody who has committed themselves through the Marvel Cinematic Universe like we have. And to go out there on the screen and to just enjoy it for everything we can and not be burdened with, okay, what, did you hear this? Did you hear what he said here? Did you hear, hear what he said here? Because that, to me, is it's truly kind of a, a detriment before you actually even go see the movie. I get that he's excited about what he does, and we all are super grateful for what he does, but he just needs to relax, man. Just, just calm down. Stop tweeting things. Stop spilling beans in the interviews. We, we want to know, but we don't want to know. And it's up to him to find the balance. Let's pool our money together and buy him a t-shirt. It's going to use those sayings that were so 2016, but I'm just going to use it here. Calm down and don't spill the beans.
What are your thoughts on Kevin Feige and his constant sharing of spoilers regarding the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So Josh, it's been a great one and I appreciate you being on Friday, Tomb Raider, and we're going to talk more about that, but that's coming up for you. I know you're going to be excited about that, right? Oh, yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Bob Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Backed or Busted. I'm your host, Rob McCallum, a.k.a. Rob McZob, and we are happy to help highlight your campaign or take a look at your project or even take a look at one that you're interested in to see if it's the real deal or not. Today, we're going to take a look at NES Maker. Let's jump over to Kickstarter and see what this is all about. Okay, so NES Maker. Make NES games, no coding required. Make new cartridge-based hardware playable games for the NES, no programming required at all. Now... I will say right off the top that this and me covering it on Backed or Busted is a massive conflict of interest because I know the creators very well. Joe Granato and I are good buddies and uh, we are working together, so I definitely endorse this. And as you can see up here, I am a backer for more than $2,000. Not because he's just my friend, but because there's a lot going on in this campaign that has been done very well. But that doesn't mean everything in this campaign is done well. And I know there's at least one or two things that I don't like in the campaign, or at least that could be done the other way. Now, that's very hard for me to say because... He launched this three days ago, and he's already at $40,000 almost of his goal of 32000 So within about 24, 26 hours, he hit his goal. Now, I already want to jump right into everything, but let's, let's just stop and, and pump the brakes right now and just take a look at the video, and then we can dive into what that video does, how it works, and continue on. Again, like a lot of projects, this is one that Kickstarter loves. 
but uh, just just keep that in mind too, and how that can help some of these numbers. Okay, so let's hit play. Man, I wish you could make a Nintendo game. Yeah, our game would be totally wicked. We came to bring you Nestmaker, our tool to create brand new cartridge-based hardware playable NES games. Wouldn't that take a lot of computer programming? No, young Joe, that's the best part! We explained it all on this VHS tape! If you're watching this, that means our time travel experiment worked! <laughs> but that's not the important achievement. We're here to talk to you about Nestmaker. You see, traditionally, if you wanted to make a NES game, you had to spend months, if not years, learning this archaic programming language called 6502 assembly. But what if you're not a programmer? What if you're an artist or a storyteller? What if there was a way to create brand new cartridge-based hardware playable NES games without writing a single line of code? Design your hero. Create your monsters. Build your world. Tell your story on real NES hardware with an intuitive front-end interface. This isn't some hypothetical thing. Nestmaker already exists. In fact, we've been around the country for the last year or so showing it off, and this is what some people had to say. It really, I mean, it's amazing. It's easy. Um, I don't write any programming myself, personally. I don't have to use this tool, which is amazing. So I'm really excited about this project. It's going immediately from what you envision to the screen without that sort of middle part. This is going to make my world so much easier. Thank you. <laughs> I've never made a game, and it's really easy, and I had lots of fun. With almost no tutorials, I figured out how to make a whole level let's of a video put, game. Let's put yours up there. That's yeah. crazy. I was looking forward to the game, but now I'm looking forward to making my own game. So, if it's already a thing, why are we on Kickstarter? Well, since Nestmaker was really created so that we could build our game, it's optimized for making adventure games. And while it can be manipulated to make other styles of games, we want to create genre modules. And those genre modules would optimize the underlying code and the front end for whatever kind of game that you want to build. Alright, so if they do back us, what kind of rewards are we looking at? Our primary rewards. Nestmaker, the software. Nestmaker Kit. The software, blank cartridge, and Kazo Flasher. Everything you need to get started. Nestmaker Pro. The software, a blank cartridge, and a Kazo Flasher in this stylish case. Everything you need to get started in style. I know this may have opened up a lot of questions. So we polled our supporters to get the most common questions that people had, and we posted to our Kickstarter. There's a very long video that should answer most of the things you might be wondering. So check that out. Check out the rest of the campaign. And if you still have questions, reach out to us for backing. We'll try to answer them as best we can. What kind of games do we make in the future? Yeah! Well, there's only one way to find out. Okay, so that's the NES Maker uh, video. Let's just step through that quickly. So it starts off with a nice little logo. And then we have basically a little bit of a, a narrative kind of conceit here where, 
where Joe and Austin, because I know them, are like Doc and Marty, but a little bit like Bill and Ted as well, where they're visiting their past selves. They basically introduce the concept and set up the pitch. And then they start explaining how it works and how it came to be. And then you get to see it basically in action there, sped up. And then you get to hear testimonials from other people who have played it or uh, used it to create something. More testimonials, testimonials, which I think are an important part of videos. If you can get testimonials and do that, it's always nice. And talking about different genres and how that can work. So then they go into the rewards as well. Now, as far as the video itself, it is a little long. It's running at 345 here. I don't know that they could have gone. I don't think they had to do all the uh, rewards. And I think there's a few that they did leave out. This is kind of funny. It does work. I don't think they had to go into the stretch goal stuff with the different uh, genres here. That could have been cut down. The testimonials are certainly important. It's nice. And then to have this added little narrative intro and outro, it's not bad, to be honest. It's it's good. It's funny. It shows that they know what they're doing, at least can put together a nice video. And you get to see the creators, which I'm always a big fan of. So uh, it does check that box off. So the only thing that I'm going to dig them on is length, uh, which they could have achieved by reducing some of the other uh, content that they had featured. Now, of course, we're talking about NES games, which is another way of saying Nintendo Entertainment System games for the original Nintendo. Uh, again, this is a massive conflict of interest because I'm a big fan of Joe. We work together, but we can still look at his campaign to see what works, what doesn't work, and what he could possibly do differently and uh, kind of share that around. Obviously, he's doing a bunch of stuff differently, and whether I'm a huge backer or a friend or not, it's good to see a campaign that works well and why it works well. So... Uh, right away, we take the mystery out, and bam, I'm a backer. So this this, uh, this project, I'm officially backing it. Okay, now that that drama's over with, let's move on here. So let's start with the campaign, as always. What is Nestmaker? Nestmaker is a software tool for creating brand new hardware-playable cartridge-based games for the Nintendo Entertainment System without having to write a single line of code. A few years ago, while developing our own NES game engine and the archaic 6502 assembly language, yada, 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 he found that this was hard, it took a lot of work, and create, recruited other people to help develop this tool. Before we knew it, we had created NES Maker. So basically, he found that it was a lot of hard work to use the old way of doing it with uh, hex tables, and he wanted to make it easier. So he found a way to do that. And now everybody gets to do this. So what can you currently do with Nestmaker? You can design spike graphics and color palettes, create assets with properties and behaviors to give developing for the NES an object-oriented feel. Uh, you can use text editor to create text strings for NPCs and other narrative devices. You can create special screens like start screens, end screens, menus, maps, and more. Custom, customize AI, set initial parameters, items obtained, player strengths, defense, uh, starting screen. Uh, use the base engine to create adventure games, basic RPGs, platformers, basic brawlers, and several other types of games. Assemble with one click for testing in emulator. Flash to cartridge for one click for play on actual hardware. So here's, here's the abbreviated way of how it works, which is a really nice graphic. Um, <clears throat> this is nice that it's in bullet points. I maybe would have parred this down here to just say, we, we've been making an NES game. 6502 assembly language is hard. It is for programmers. We are not programmers. We decided to make a tool that would make it easier for us. I get the story, but he could have parted it down. 
I like this. This is very easy to read. This is nice as well. It takes up a lot of screen space, but because the, the text is small, it had to be big by the looks of it. Get an idea for a game, create graphic assets, build screens, test an emulator, flash the cartridge, play on NES. It's awesome. So that's that's easy. That's the, the six-step process. And he's got a bunch of videos that you can uh, use to walk through everything. Why they need Kickstarter. So this is good. So we've started with, right at the top here, what it is, how it came to be, and what the kind of need it fills, what you can do with it, how it works in terms of uh, the development cycle, and then why they need Kickstarter. So they've really laid the groundwork, I think, in the right order there. So NES Maker is currently a little rougher on the edges, designed to meet our needs. Now we're attempting to expand and need some UI work. Okay, so we're going to be streamlining it and basically making it a little bit friendlier. And they want to build upon the tool and expand its current uh, capabilities. One of the core ways we intend to do this is by building a genre module. So we got Adventure Module, Platform Module, RPG Manual, Brawler Module, and Shooter Module. These base engines cover many genres. For instance, tweaking the base module, both adventure game and platform could be utilized to create a Metrovania-style side-scroller. A shooter could be cleverly modified to create a, uh, a runner. Brawler could be manipulated to create a versus game, and so on and so on. Where will the funds be exactly going? So that's always an important question. Let's keep it incredibly simple. 30% of funds raised through the crowdfunding campaign will go towards Kickstarter fees and taxes. A small portion, less than 10%, will be relegated towards further marketing. The rest will be split, split paying our team and hardware rewards. That makes sense to me. Those numbers do line up. And then if we still have questions, here's a video right here uh, that has a lot of questions. Now, I don't like this. Uh, they have, There's a frequently asked question section specifically to answer questions. I get that these guys are filmmakers. Uh, and they want to kind of put it, video stuff out there, but it's a lot quicker for me to read questions and scan through them to see if they have answered the one I wanted or to even fire one back. This is a little bit more passive. It takes me off Kickstarter and further away from the ability to pledge. Let's take a look at risks and challenges. I know more than anyone that developing for the NES takes time as we spent an unexpected three years developing and refining our current engine, and I have continually had to morph it to work with an evolving tool. That is one of the reasons Mystic Searches is still in development. Mystic Searches is uh, an NES game that Joe is creating based on a other Kickstarter that he did for his documentary, The New 8-Bit Heroes, which you can check out now on Amazon. It is possible that each genre module presents new challenges to tackle uh, than more time anticipated. However, since the engine and tool are digital deliverables and are to be patched and updated, we will be able to deliver the tool in the state that it's in at the time of expected delivery, adding potential genre models and updated features as they are completed. So basically, they're hoping to get it out the door, and because things are digital, they can uh, send you uh, updates that you can just download and plug in, which is nice. Okay, so let's go through the rewards. $5, just a show of support. Basically, pledging this level, you'll get a thank you message from the team as well as digital images to share on social media and use as desktop wallpaper. Uh, again, I'm a fan of the $1 show of support. You have all these assets, they're digital, they're not costing you money. You have 55 bucks here. Maybe it's, uh, this is more of like a real, real deal show of support, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of showing like support for a buck for anybody uh, that might want to find out and, and keep up with it. Five bucks feels like I should be getting a little bit more than that. 36 bucks. Uh, NES Maker Software. Get started creating NES games with the software. So you want to start going, making your games. 36 bucks gets you in. It's, it's really that simple. 
Uh, you can, and then you can get the hardware components later, which is what we got here. NES Maker Toolkit, NES Maker. Get the Kazoo USB cartridge cart flasher and a blank reflash, reflashable cartridge. This provides all the software and hardware you need to make your NES game. So that's kind of the all-in-one package for $88. Ships anywhere in the world. NES Maker Pro, basically get everything that you had before, except for you get it inside a fancy retro-inspired uh, housing and be part of the NES Maker Beta testers. We'll have access to every beta version of the software beginning within a month of the Kickstarter's end. So that's cool. Basically beta access and everything else that's coming out. NES Pro Gold, uh, you're going to get limited run of gold flasher housings, plus the beta testers and everything else from that. $10,000, your game created, your project will go in queue, and it will be created by the Alpha team at the New Bit Heroes. All the art, music, narrative, the mechanics, everything you've dreamed of creating without lifting a finger. Delivery date will be determined by many factors. Please ask for details. Shipping costs and NES Maker Pro reward here are included. So that's wicked. And then the other uh, reward is the one I selected for $2,000. Uh, pledge two grand or more. Sponsor a module, be immortalized. Is your vision a specific platform game, an RPG, a space shooter? By sponsoring a module, we'll not only work hard to create the module for use with the tool, but you'll be immortalized in the foundation of NES Maker. People will, will be able not people will be able not only use, for instance, the platform engine, but they'll be specifically using it to create Joe Eat Your Neighbors platform engine. This reward comes with all others featured as well. So basically, um, this is a fancy way when you go into this module here to create your we'll say platformer it's not just going to be create platform game it'll be create rob mccallum's platformer game so that is one of the reasons why i sponsor this so because i have my eyes set on an rpg uh, based on my film nintendo quest that's what i've been working with joe on so when you go to make an rpg uh, with with nest maker nes maker you're going to have to pick the Gamer Quest or the, the Rob McCallum Nintendo Quest RPG module to get going. So it's a little bit of marketing and it's going to be there forever, which is really nice. So let's count the rewards so we have an idea of, of what that looks like. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Boom, they hit that right on the head. There's seven rewards. That's fantastic. I'm gonna jump right over to KickTrack now and see if we can find NES Maker. Okay, here we are. Now, it's again, like I said, we're only three days into it, so it's we're not going to have a lot of data to go on, um, but you can see day one and day two have been great. Actually, day two was bigger than day one. Day one, they did 16,972. Day two, they did 17,522, and already on day three, they're at 5,100 here. Here are the number of backers per day, 158, 166, 53. The projection is probably going to go crazy high. Well, not enough days yet so they they've only got two days to drop on so they probably need i think five or six before they can do that here's the trend they're trending over four hundred thousand dollars right now now that's going to fall back down to earth uh if i had to take a guess uh with where they are right now i would say that they could probably top out at 65 or so 65 70 not too sure they don't have any uh press at the bottom yet that joe has not put any tags in there uh let's see if they're on the hot list see if they're on the hot list they're not it doesn't look like they're on the main one let's see if they're on games no they're not on games let's let's see if they're on video games there they are 
NES Maker, number three. So it went down to, so it was the number one spot on the, the Kick Track Hot List video game projects. So that's cool that it was at the top. Here they are still at number three. That's still a really respectable uh, place to be back to NES Maker. So like I said, things that they're doing well, the number of rewards are very clear. There's only seven. It's super easy to understand and follow. Uh, the campaign body, other than trimming some of this stuff up a little bit, it isn't too bad. Uh, the modules, basically, as stretch goals, makes a lot of sense. That's That makes sense. I would really rework the, the frequently asked questions section. Why don't we just jump over there right now? A lot of pressing questions can be answered here at the link below. Oh, you're killing me, guys. You are killing me. Hit us up directly and we'll answer as best as we can. Surely you guys have 10 minutes to answer here in the frequently asked questions and post questions and put answers versus making a video every time. That's the only problem that I have with this so far. Uh, comments, tons of comments. People are excited. Uh, lots of lots of people here. Super backers and Joe's a five-time creator. Basically clarifying. So he's doing a lot of work answering questions within the comments, which is nice as well. Super backers. Let's jump over to community. So of the 380 backers, 294 are from the state. So this is definitely a domestic campaign. Five backers from Vegas, five from LA, five from New York. So pretty evenly across the cities. There's no one city that seems to be above and beyond uh, anybody else. Uh, the U.S. is clearly the front runner, and it's interesting to see uh, the U.K., the United Kingdom, number two, with Canada, number three, and then Germany, Spain, as as we go on. Forty-seven new backers. That's nice. It's really impressive for Joe, who's a five-time creator now. He's obviously pulling in a lot of people that have Kickstarter experience before. Good for him. Uh, and forty-seven new people are brought to Kickstarter because of him. That is fantastic. I like uh, I like what I see here, guys. Again, I have uh, already put my money where my mouth is. I have backed this. And I'm uh, proud to be a backer of it. If you want to check it out, go now to Kickstarter, NES Maker. Make some NES games yourself. No coding required. Love to play it. If you have any other campaigns, if you want me to highlight your project, as so many people have actually reached out, and I want to say thank you for all the consultations that you've had me do, uh, reach out to me on Twitter, at Rob McZob, or here at crowdfundingspectacular99 at gmail.com. Happy to get in touch with you and give you some pointers. Thanks so much, and we'll see you guys next time.